presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to welcome back our first guest, Chris Brown. Chris Brown is a director of policy and research with the Common Sense Institute which he leads the research efforts of CSI to provide insightful, accurate, actionable information on the implications of public policy issues throughout the state of Colorado. Since joining CSI, Chris has led many reports on a range of policy and economic issues facing the state of Colorado, including measuring the economic and fiscal impacts of Proposition 112. The 2,500-foot setback for new oil and gas drilling appeared on the ballot of 2018. Welcome, Chris. Hello, Earl. Joining us for the first time, my second guest today, is Lynn Granger. Lynn is the Executive Director of API Colorado, a statewide organization focusing on energy priorities in the state, including hydraulic fracturing and energy infrastructure. Lynn leads API's efforts in the state, helping the natural gas and oil industry create jobs, generate more revenue for the state, and make America less reliant on foreign energy. Prior to joining API Colorado, Lynn served as COO for Colorado Concern, where she led all operational strategic execution for the organization, supporting legislative candidates and statewide policies that promote a sound economic future for Colorado. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks for having me, Earl. You're welcome. Today's conversation is about a series of new oil and gas setback rules that the COGCC has proposed to take effect next year. The oil and gas industry is very important to Colorado's economy. So as a business owner and policymaker, I'm eager to hear your thoughts about these new rules and how they might affect our state. But before we get to that, just one quick question. What is COGCC and how did it get formed? So COGCC is the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. So it was formed to uh, regulate oil and gas here in the state. Well, actually, let me back up. Originally, the mission was to um, foster development of oil and gas in the state. And that was one of the major changes through Senate Bill 181 last year was to change the mission from fostering development to regulating development. So we're really talking about a sea change. You know, how do we grow something versus how do we start to restrain it? Is that right? Correct. Okay, now, who are the individuals that are omniscient enough to do this in a way that uh, doesn't harm the public or doesn't harm the industry? What is that group made up of? Um, So we have five now full-time professional commissioners on the COGCC, and that's also new out of Senate Bill 181. Uh, We had a volunteer commission uh, for a very long time, and Senate Bill 181 directed us to a full-time professional commission, which industry was very much in support of. Um, You know, our industry is incredibly technical, and we felt it would be very important to have folks that were dedicated full-time on this commission to really um, be able to do their jobs effectively. So the commission is five people or is it nine people? Have I misunderstood that? No, right now it's five people. That's the current um, professional commission. Before, when it was a volunteer commission, it was nine. Okay, very good. Give us a little insight as to what's going on in the oil and gas industry. We understand it's uh, been severely impacted. 
with falling prices and low demand and one point in April, it's hard to believe that uh, the futures for oil price for oil dropped below zero. What's your organization's experience for 2020 and what are the issues that are facing the industry, regardless of the current situation in Colorado? So Earl, when I think back to January of this year, I think we already were looking at 2020 as a, as a very challenging year for the industry. Again, just that of Senate Bill 181, we knew we would have a host of rulemakings throughout this year. Um, that mission change rulemaking is one of them. We kind of call it a mega rulemaking, and that's the one we're currently in right now that began at the um, tail end of August, and that will continue um, through almost the end of November. You know, it was already going to be a tough year. And then, of course, COVID hit and we had a sharp decline uh, in demand for natural gas and oil, which was um, very tough. As you alluded to, you know, futures went negative, um, which we hadn't seen. Uh, the other uh, thing that we were dealing with in March was a Russia-Saudi price war as well. That was um, had detrimental effects to our industry as well. And so when you kind of couple all of those things together, um, it's been a very challenging year. Um, absolutely. And I think the rulemakings in particular have been really tough because we have been working with uh, stakeholders and staff over at the COGCC for months. We've poured hundreds of hours into discussion and feedback on proposed rules. And so what we're seeing right now, particularly around setbacks, is that um, you know, what we kind of went into this rulemaking um, with proposed by staff and, again, rules that we had had a lot of input um, and discussions about um, were qu quickly reversed by the commission. Um, and uh, the rules proposed by staff were um, kind of put on the back burner and they went in a very different direction. And I can just say it was incredibly disappointing to see that again, after all the hard work we had put in, you know, earlier this year um, and leading up to this mega rulemaking. And so we're, we're seeing that on, on kind of a number of fronts where commission is taking a different direction from what staff is proposing. And that has been incredibly challenging so far. Well, I, I want you to go in a little bit more detail about the challenge, if you could. I, I want to make certain we all understand the podcast. You have a professional staff that has given advice to the commission itself, and then the commission of five people have taken it upon themselves to, in essence, not accept all or much of the recommendations that have come from the professional staff, and they are now, in essence, through their own, uh, I guess, discussions and, and the commission discussions or committee discussions, deciding a different route. What is that route? Give us some details if you can. The first and largest change that we saw with the deviation from what staff had proposed, and we're talking about staff with decades and decades of experience in this area. Um, you know, and I mentioned earlier that we were very supportive of, of the professional commission and having full-time commissioners you know, regulate our industry. I think the the surprise or the curveball that we got, which nobody was expecting, obviously was COVID and kind of the change in the schedule. So these commissioners were were seated on July 1st. So they were um, in their roles for a whole six or seven weeks before undertaking this, as you call it, sea change, um, you know, this rulemaking that that rewrites almost every regulation on the books for us. And some of these commissioners don't have any sort of oil and natural gas history or experience or certainly not any technical expertise. So well, time out, man, time out. I thought you told us just no more than a few minutes ago that you all were happy that there was a commission of some, that there was going to be some professionals. Now you're telling me that the professionals or folks that are on there, some of them really don't have much 
uh, experience and or the depth of knowledge that you would hope to be telling the industry in Colorado, the oil and gas industry in Colorado, how to conduct their business. Is that what I'm hearing? It is, yes. We weren't expecting this commission to undertake the mission change rulemaking that we're in, which was postponed due to COVID. And so, yes, while we were very supportive of a professional commission, having this professional commission undertake a mission change rulemaking that, you know, rewrites every regulation on the books after they've been seated for six or seven weeks and just don't necessarily have that technical knowledge and expertise that would be needed um, is very concerning to us. And that's been challenging. Well, I, I, I hate to repeat myself, but I want to make this clear for all of our listeners. You've got a professional staff that is making recommendations to five people who aren't necessarily well-versed on the industry or well-versed on the issues. And yet those five people who aren't well-versed on the issues aren't taking the recommendations from the professional staff as to what should be done and how they should be conducting their activities in the commission. That seems a little bit strange to me that it's how how are you going to handle this, Lynn? It seems a little backward and a bit frustrating. It's been incredibly frustrating, yes, Um, particularly on the area of setbacks, because as you know, that's a very important um, issue for our industry. It's been an issue in our state for a very long time. What staff had originally proposed in September was a 1,500 foot setback from 10 building units. Quickly, commissioners kind of, again, put that on the back burner and said, no, we think it should be 2,000 feet from one building unit, which has significant significantly more consequences um, for our industry than what staff had proposed. Well, you're talking about significant consequences. And I guess if we're going to go that route for a second, that means we bring in Chris and all the work work that Chris has done as the economist for Common Sense Institute. You've analyzed some of this, Chris, and give us, if you could, what are some of the consequences uh, from an economic perspective and What's the, the impact on Colorado? Help us out. At CSI, we have looked at various setback-related measures over the years. And this is, in some ways, you know, fourth or fifth round of significant setback discussions, whether uh, appearing on the ballot, you know, as, as we went through analysis of Proposition 112 just two years ago. This set of setback series is a little bit different. Um, I guess the one point that I'd like to set up for listeners as it relates to understanding the economic impacts is the setback measures impact new oil and gas production. They impact new drilling. And uh, so ultimately their impact is to reduce the number of new wells and the amount of new production that occurs in future years. And over time, as you lose not only the production in those first in the first year, <clears throat> but the future years as well, what we try to emphasize and show is the extent to which you see growing impacts uh, over time. And uh, oil and gas, uh, particularly drilling and new uh, exploration, has a significant impact on not just jobs directly related to that industry, but Uh, across sectors, across the state very broadly. I mean, one thing we've talked about and stands out to us is that 14% of commercial office space in just downtown Denver is occupied by uh, oil and gas related businesses. 
So the, the ripple effects of decreasing the size of this industry as it relates to jobs and prosperity is, is a very large issue for Colorado as we've tried to analyze and look at for several years now. Well, Lynn, is, Lynn pointed out to us that, that there's restrictions that are coming out of the commission and they're not following the recommendations of the professionals that, that are there to help them. And now you're telling me that that without, without the additional drilling, uh, starting a new, new wells and additional drilling, we're not going to replace the reserves that are being depleted, which everybody knows occurs in the oil and gas industry as you produce. And your point further then is, hey, if we're not drilling new wells, we have a ripple effect in the economy with regards to not only the oil field workers and the companies, but also those people that service them and those people that they, in essence, uh, do business with, as well as the communities in general. So, look, I know you have an econometric model. You've used it very wisely in the past to try to inform us as to the impact of what's going on. And in light of what Lynn has just said and you're aware of, give us a sense of what is the economic impact, if you would, for this at the state level. And then also, what does it mean employment-wise? And also, what is the ripple effect within the community, not just the direct employees, that you referred to. Give us some hard, hard data, if you would. In this current debate, there are four sets of rules and several uh, setback-related measures in these rules, which COGCC is currently uh, is, is yet to finalize. There's Of those four rules, some are related to setbacks from increased setbacks from buildings. Uh, there's other features uh, that have increased setbacks, but there's one rule in particular, uh, the 1200 series rule, that includes two setbacks that are yet to be fully decided uh, at this point in COGCC's rulemaking. And so we analyzed two particular rules within the 1200 series, 1202C and 1202D, and these are setbacks from uh, wildlife features. And to give you a sense of these two, uh, that, that increased setbacks on, on restricted habitats and, incre- and, and habitats that have high density of certain types of, of wildlife. You're telling me that the state of Colorado, if I take a map of the state of Colorado, there a map that can be created of wildlife habitat around the state you know, various colors or whatever to say here are elk, here are deer, here are the prairie prairie grouse. Uh, you're saying that exists? Yeah, yeah. Those maps are developed by Department of uh, uh, I think it's Natural Resources, I believe, that uh, uh, develops those maps currently. Absolutely. Yeah, I just want to follow up on that. So now you're saying that the commission is saying that if these habitats exist wherever they are in the we have to have not just an offset from buildings. Now we may have a breeding season for deer or a breeding season for elk, and we can't disturb that breeding season or whatever or that habitat with oil and gas production. Is, is that what I hear? That's right, and, and even seasonal. And, and, Lynn, if you wanted to comment more on this, but that's that's effectively, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, much- how much wildlife? How much wildlife space do we have in Colorado? Uh, we have a lot of buildings, I know that. So now we're adding that to our setbacks. How much space do we have that would be taken up by wildlife 
habitat. Lynn, do you want to try to answer that? Oh, I, yeah, that, that one's a tricky one because it's, it's definitely a lot. Um, I just wanted to clarify just what Chris is, is talking about, too, is not necessarily what has been proposed by COGCC, but what ha- is in an alternate proposal by a party to the rulemaking as well. Some of it is included, but some of it is also just, again, what's been proposed by another party as well. So I just wanted to make that distinction. Okay, well, Chris, sorry to interrupt you. What what are the economics of this? That since you we now have wildlife setbacks, what how many jobs is this going to cost us? And what are we talking about with regards to revenues and the impact on the state, if at all? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't impact us. Give us give us a straight scoop. Yeah, yeah. There's you know there's a lot of nuance here. And to Lynn's point, the way that we modeled this was looking at new permits between 2017 and 2019 and looking at new uh, permitted wells and the production of those wells during uh, the last three years. So looking at actual data, history, historical data. And we assumed that these proposed, these, these potential setbacks would have yet, which have yet to be finalized uh, and are not currently recommended to be uh, what is termed sort of, a hard setback. So we assumed that they were, in fact, if they were to be made hard setbacks in that uh, the commission would not approve permits within these areas, as opposed to uh, if they were to be consultation areas, which is what is being debated and is the recommendation currently, um, which, which would allow some permitting, but would allow for higher level of scrutiny uh, and some other mitigation efforts to likely have to occur. If we were to see these particular rules, now again, this is one subset of the other rules which have already been finalized. If 1202C and 1202D, uh, current series of rules, were to be in fact implemented as, as hard setbacks, uh, they would have impacted as much as uh, 17% of new production uh, in the DJ Basin uh, value of new production in the DJ Basin in 2017, uh, and by 2019 would have, if these rules had been in place, we would have seen a reduction in employment of about 22,000 jobs uh, across Colorado um, and an impact on state GDP, uh, a net reduction in 2019 of between about $2 billion and $2.7 billion in one year alone. Uh, when you look at the dynamic impacts and you look at the fiscal impacts on top of that, uh, you, we, we modeled and, and saw a potential impact of, you know, up to $180 million in lost state and local tax revenue as a result of this lower production from these rules. Now, there was a lot that I just went through, and I think part of the challenge of this particular rulemaking and the way setbacks are being discussed is it's very different than the Proposition 112 discussion, which was, you know, 2,500 feet from buildings. And that was easy to, to sort of get your head around in a very quick manner. These sets of rules are more nuanced. Uh, they include uh, notions that there might be greater scrutiny. There's a distinction between whether the setbacks are in fact hard or soft. And so it's a much more uh, sort of set of rules to get your head around, but I think what, why we wanted to analyze them 
and get this information out is because they remain incredibly consequential. And none of this modeling uh, really is being done. And to your, your point and your question about, uh, well, how much of Colorado would be impacted by this one rule uh, if it was assumed to be hard, we had to go about and dig to do that mapping ourselves. At, the, at this point, those sets of maps uh, and that information as it relates to how much production would have, would have occurred in these areas has not been released publicly and, and discussed and debated in a public way. So I think it's really a matter of recognizing, yes, there's more complexity in these rules, which might, which might benefit industry because there's some ability to have continued production through these softer setbacks. But nonetheless, the commission is putting themselves in a position where they have a, a, a lot of uh, authority over approving permits and discretion and ultimate impact over the economy, depending upon how much of these permits continue to be approved. I don't know, Len, if there's anything there that I you'd like to expand on, but there remain large consequences to these sets of rules that, again, I think may be going a little under the radar at the moment. You know, that, first of all, that's, that's an oxymoron that you're saying the rules. Rules are hard and fast, and you know what to do with this. I, mean, I don't mean to, to be lecturing everybody here, but that's not what I hear being said. Uh, when you use the word nuance, that doesn't talk to me about rules. That talks to me about people, in essence, trying to use their judgment, which all of a sudden gets watered down by what's important to them and what they think ought to be important to everybody else around them. And that's not rules-based. That's, no, that's more of a what do I think is works versus what do I think the hard and fast rules ought to be. So... Forgive me for lecturing you and whoever's listening on the podcast, but I just see uh, a lot more uncertainty. And to some extent, Lynn, how in the world does the industry deal with this? That's a good question, Earl. Um, and we are, again, working very hard with all stakeholders and staff. But you, you make a very good point. You know, we entered into this rulemaking really hoping to come out on the other end with certainty for this industry. Because what this industry needs in the state of Colorado more than anything else is the certainty. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have that yet. And they've made it so nuanced that we really have to wait and see how they put this into practice. And, you know, the term soft setback that they've kind of introduced here is incredibly nuanced and it's incredibly subjective. Um, and we just don't know how it's going to be applied. And again, um, that does not provide us the certainty and clarity that we really need. Um, and then I also wanted to quickly touch on, um, you know, kind of a comment that Chris made about impacts and those discussions aren't happening right now over at the COGCC. And that's incredibly concerning and been um, one of the um, areas that we've been focused on because, you know, all of these rules are changing. There's been no request from commissioners of let's see a map of how, how much of the state does this impact? How much production does this impact? And so when we see regulators talking about, um, you know, new rules and regulations that are, one, going to affect jobs, and two, um, have the potential to affect tax revenue for the state as well, they need to be looking at impacts, absolutely, across the board, and, and providing a lot of scrutiny as well um, in their evaluation before they're just simply passing rules. And so when we're not seeing any of that discussion happening, no impacts, that is, that is very, very concerning. Lynn, I, I want to pursue the issue of impact a little bit, but I want to pursue it from two perspectives. Talk to me about the, the 
the oil and gas industry. I'm, I'm a business guy, and I, you know, I've spent my life creating a company. I must tell you that if I didn't know what the rules were and I was guessing and I had to figure out, you know, the other the person on the other side, how in the world they're going to decide my livelihood from one day to the next. And you're small. Let's just break in pieces. How about the small oil and gas operator here in Colorado? How does this impact them? Well, we've got a lot of them, and they've done a pretty doggone good job of finding energy in this state. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, API, we represent, you know, small, medium, you know, large members here in the state. And obviously impacts to each of those are very different. But the again, the uncertainty is is making it very, very tough, especially for our small and mid-sized operators here. Um, you know, as demand starts to increase, which we're very happy about and um, companies are looking for where, you know, they're going to where they're going to produce. Um, we need to make sure that Colorado looks looks good and looks lucrative for these companies. And it's not a there. It's too uncertain that we don't want to invest here. And so that's what we're very focused on is trying to get to a point where we have that certainty for companies of all sizes that make them feel like there's a clear path forward we, to permits. We um, have the clarity and we have the certainty that will lead to success for this industry. Well, let me let me ask you a question that you wanted to answer. Is our industry growing or is it number one? And number two, if it's not growing, are companies in our industry or operations in our industry migrating out of the state? What's happening? So I think we are certainly, and of course, there's a number of factors that go into this, but we started the year out with, you know, 21, 22 rigs operating here in the state. We're down to about four. Again, there's a lot of things that go into that calculation. Um, I think we're starting to see you know, across the board, um, a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions. We're also starting to see some bankruptcies, unfortunately. And again, there's a lot of factors that go into all of that. Um, but I think that the regulatory environment here specifically um, is certainly a factor. Well, Chris, you've, you've had a chance to listen to this and you've done all the economics on it. How do you see the, uh, the impact on the, the communities that have been dependent upon the uh, uh, the oil and gas industry for taxes to support their school systems and to support the economic base of the various counties and road improvement, bridge improvement. How, how does this impact the, the local communities here? You know, I think the numbers I went through, uh, you know, and in, in, an impact of state and local tax revenue of up to $180 million, again, in just isolating this without considering other rules. I mean, show, and that's a statewide number. I think this shows, again, a lot's at stake. I, you know, you made a point about, you know, this rule we're talking about here is wildlife. What we noticed, again, just in this rule alone, a very different sort of impact from a percentage basis when you look out on the western slope in the Peons Basin relative to the, the DJ Basin. There's a lot of a lot more wildlife, more rural uh, area on the, in the Peons Basin, and the percent of new uh, oil and gas activity that would occur in these areas, that, again, discussing here, is much higher in that part of the, you know, the state and where oil and gas activity is occurring than it is here on the, on the front range in the, in the DJ Basin. So as it relates to specific communities, I think you know, while our analysis did not look at the details, specific, you know, communities or cities or school districts. We've done some previous work on that in months past. 
I think it's an, it's a huge consideration for these four communities that have anticipated new production and new drilling to really provide you know scrutinize what uh, is going on and, and understand that for their their uh, for their future because I think it, it's incredibly impactful for some communities uh, and, and even our statewide numbers probably don't appropriately reflect the, the differences that uh, you might see in different communities. Well, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this, and Lynn, it seems to me you're taking uh, about as constructive approach as I've ever seen anybody uh, try to take in a condition like this, where you describe that we're dealing with, you know, professional uh, professionals who are advising a commission uh, that is not made up of professionals, but they are professionals. They're not professionals within this industry, uh, but they are. Uh, they're there passing judgment. They're not taking the advice. Of the, of the professional staff that's there to advise them so they can make good decisions. It doesn't seem to me that's the way we ought to have a train system run. Chris, you're telling me that if uh, some of these vague rules uh, are hard, as you said, with regards to wildlife areas, there's an economic impact that in light of the COVID-19 environment we're in, the loss of revenues for the state, in light of what the communities are taking and the deficits we have at the community level, you know, how much more can we just keep giving up of, of our economy and hope to, hope to hope our economy continue to thrive and be a place that we would hope people would uh, want to come and raise their families and uh, continue to help us find new enterprises? don't have an answer to my own question in light of what we're talking about today, but thank you, Lynn. Thank you so much. And uh, Chris, as always, your, your work is just sterling and uh, and Lynn, thank you for hanging in there. A very tough situation for this industry. It is. Thanks, Earl. Really appreciate the work that CSI does. It's very important. Thank you so much, Earl. It's great, uh, great conversation as always. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.